this is Sam Valentine with the second episode of the One Broke Actress podcast. I have to start out by saying thank you so much for all of the positive feedback after episode one. I got so many emails and messages and I was totally overwhelmed and I think Sarah was too. So thank you so much. I'm thrilled that you guys are really vibing with us. So let's move on to the next fun piece here. Before I forget, if you guys have yet to enter the contest I have going, please subscribe and or review the podcast, screenshot it, and send it to me at sam at samvalentine.net. And I will enter you in. Subscribing gets you one entry and rating gets you four more. So that's five. I really, really appreciate it. And I have already have a couple things for the secret box that I'm going to send you. So enter the contest. Email me, sam at samvalentine.net. That's also the same place you can send any questions or comments you have about the podcast. You can always reach me there. Um, I respond to every single email. Okay, moving on. Uh, Last week, we went a little heavy on the coaching side. This week, we're going to go heavier on the actor side. This week's guest is Sean Crampton. I have known him for a couple of years now, and watching him work over the past couple of years has been kind of incredible. He has really, really broken out into the improv scene. He takes it extremely seriously in the most lighthearted way, if that makes any sense at all. And he's also made his own films. You can watch them now on most of the streaming platforms. And he's in talks of making his next one. He's always doing something and he always has a theory he's working on. He always has the next thing already going in his head. Uh, So in this episode, we delve really deeply into how he got into acting, what made improv the thing that he kind of clung to, how his group formed over time, how he went about making his first film with those people from his group, how they got James Franco on board, which is freaking cool, by the way. You have to listen to that part. And he also really takes us through his routine, which is awesome. He takes us step by step through his full morning routine. I think this is so valuable to actors because it's so hard to find any sort of normalcy in our schedules. So any piece you can plug into your own schedule, I think will be very, very useful. So without further ado, please enjoy episode two of the One Broke Actress podcast. Okay, so I am here with Sean Crampton. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing well, thank you. We're pretending like this is the first time we've done this, but (laughs) we actually recorded this podcast almost three months ago, and it deleted from my computer. Wow, is that three months ago? Yeah. Wow. So here we are again. So can you just explain to everyone um, like how you got here, how you got to L.A.? Sure. I'm from San Diego originally. South San Diego, Imperial Beach, the most southwestern city in the United States. You're Uh, in Mexico then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) From my mom's house, it's the beach in Mexico. It's great. Um, Went, was born and raised there until I was 17. Then I went to UC Santa Barbara, graduated luckily in four years. Then I went to Europe for three months and immediately came to L.A. when I was 21 Basically the month before I turned 22. In October, it'll be nine years since I've been in L.A. And I always knew I would come to L.A. Ever since I can remember. Did you come here a lot if you were from San Francisco or San Diego? I'm sorry. Did you come to L.A. a lot when you were younger? Just once. Just once? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, my dad took me for three or four days because I was begging him to. I was maybe 10. We did like very L.A. touristy stuff. I hardly remember any of it. Did you want to be an actor when you were younger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah definitely. Always. That was the only thing I kept returning to. There were other, like, 
professional surfer and all these other things, but that was the only one I really always returned to. You can't be a professional surfer. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy career. Idea. Yeah, right. Oh, wait, let's pick the other career. I had one. surfed PE in high school, so it was very, um, you know, uh, available out there. Yeah. Wow, we went bowling sometimes. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So to enter the acting field, how did you get to that from? Because when you first get to L.A., everyone says, I'm going to move to L.A. and be an actor. Mm. But they don't talk about how you get from point A to point AA79. Mm. So what was the in-between for you, the getting started with everything? There's no guidebook. No one tells you how to do that. Yeah, I, I was lucky in a few senses. I moved here with a college teammate of mine. I played rugby in college. He's still out here. Shout out Harris Markson. Hi, uh, Harris Markson. <laughs> and... Uh, I was lucky that, you know, we had each other's backs because we both knew little next to nothing. I believe his uncle was a pretty famously uh, liked uh, acting teacher where he's from in Denver. So he had a little bit of information, you know. And I have a cousin out here, Amy, who uh, came over with like a 12-pack of beer within the first month and like kind of just shot the shit and broke it down. But other than that, we were really on our own and... I wouldn't say I wasted the first six months I was here because it's never a waste, but certainly in retrospect, nothing was really going on acting. We were like 21, 22 figuring it out, and I stumbled into what became my path here, very luckily. The first six months is when you think you should be doing a lot of things, mm -hmm. but basically what you're going to accomplish is finding money mm -hmm. in small amounts and mm -hmm. finding out how to get around without a GPS. Yeah, at that age especially. It's different if you're like having a career in London or in New York and you want to give L.A. six months, but when you're just literally starting the career, it's got to give yourself almost a year or two to get your feet on the ground in a sense. Yeah, it's like any out-of-college job. Mm. You have to find mm. time to find a job in general. Yeah. What did you do for money when you first came out here? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want to tell me? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, extra work for sure. My, I remember my dad laughing like to tears when he saw one of my paychecks. He was like, $51 oh for a God. whole day? Are you kidding? Um, Non-union no. extra work is tough. Yeah, it was crazy. I only did a few of those, but I worked at this uh, restaurant called The Elephant Bar in uh, Burbank, and I valeted for one night before I quit. I was very famous for <laughs> quitting jobs. I walked out of a 24-hour sport, super sport in Glendale after my second day. I said I was going to lunch at 10 a.m., never went back. And I just had no time for things like that and just survived. So know. what's been your survival kind of uh, jobs since then? Bartending and privately coaching improv. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Can you t uh, introduce that improv a little bit? Because that's a big part of who you are now as an actor. Yeah. I, uh, I luckily stumbled on the Playhouse West, the repertory theater in North Hollywood, which, you know, has its pros and cons like any school. But one of the pros is that it introduced me to a great community. And by chance, the month I started was the same month they started their comedy program. I literally knew nothing about anything, but I did think I was Marlon Brando for sure when I moved here. So the ego is large, and the knowledge was uh, little. But uh, so 
luckily I had parents who worked their ass off. And so I just devoured any class that came my way. And that included the comedy program. And I literally had never <laughs> knew what improv was. And uh, so we started there. And then, um, you know, over the years, I was in that class for three and a half years, the comedy class. I was at the repertory theater for four and a half years straight like a psychopath, just trying to outwork. Literally, I was just trying to outwork anybody. Were you one of those lifers who would just show up to the building and hang out? No, no. Okay. They, there's you know nothing like that. You know those people I'm talking about. Yeah, but <laughs> like the cool thing was you could, um, whatever level you were in, you could audit any level class of that same level and below. So like I would audit every class. every Like some days I'd be in class for 12 hours just because I felt like I knew nothing. Where did that shift happen, if I can stop you for a second? The shift between when you decided the Marlon Brando and when you realized you know nothing, Jon Snow. Like, what? how did that flip The first time I picked up a script. (laughs) 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 The very first time I picked up a script and there was a camera rolling, which was at Wiest Baron Hill, which is this hilarious school on Magnolia, the... Teacher, bless his heart. I don't know if he's still alive. Hope so. He is very old. He fell asleep <laughs> during media class. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, I just, you were watching yourself on camera, and I was just like, objectively, this is bad. So I was like, I must not meet Marlon Brando. Um, <laughs> and uh, I found it more invigorating, interesting, fulfilling to just work hard. And not pretend I'm, this may sound weird, but like somebody special. Because I feel like that gets thrown a lot or around a lot. Like, we're all special, unique snowflakes. For sure. But uh, <laughs> if everybody is, then no one is. And I felt like, at least for me personally, if I saw myself, and this is very individual. When I see myself as an individ, uh, as a special something, I can't relate to other people. But when I see myself as just another person, I feel like I'm, it put me in a space to relate to the other side of the argument or someone I've never met or a job I've never had. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good actor skill to have, to be able to drop in and just relate to strangers. Yeah, I mean, like, especially now, like, it's actually been a lot of fun in a way. It's going to sound weird, but, like, with the political climate, like to really try and understand the opposite side of that has been such a good acting exercise for me. And I do it as much as I can because that's what you're going to be asked to play. You might be asked to play a Stalin or a Hitler or someone who chops up their like kids, like something you can't even fathom, but you got to go in there and do that without actually being a homicidal maniac. Yeah, I mean, what is that they say? Everyone's the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. So That's right. Um, okay, so back to the improv world. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> we digressed to Stalin. Yeah, so. that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were in the class, and the classes got moved around, and finally we, like, formed this unit. Originally, we were in a sketch comedy group. There was 20 of us. It was 10 guys, 10 gals. And then within that group, some of us were in the improv class. And there was eight of us, I believe. And we're like, should we be an improv team? And uh, that's what happened. And we've been a group for seven years now. What what made you switch from improv or from sketch to improv? There was no switch. We just added. So we were both the sketch and the improv troupe. And that caused minor dramas within the group because 
several people were at different levels and then once they saw the success of it they wanted to be included and then you know there was divisiveness about who could be included and then like putting your money where your mouth is are you going to go do improv are you going to join a class are you going to join a school it was kind of interesting time a lot of learning for sure yeah showing up is a whole new ball game yeah people talk a lot but you know one of the best pieces of advice i got when i first moved here my acting mentor brian lally uh he said it's so easy to move to la and not act and uh, i didn't know what that meant until i saw it firsthand from just several people around me just like constantly not acting i guess six months would go by and there would be nothing they've done but still calling themselves an actor yeah, which is always. fine like it doesn't offend me it's just like what are you really doing here yeah and then call it what it is yeah. so the rest of us yeah. who are actually doing it are yeah. in that own group yeah yeah, so, and then, yeah, so our improv troops are rounded off. We've been together seven years. We have a show every Tuesday night in the Valley. It's pretty popular, mostly standing room only. We keep it free because, you know, shows can get expensive in L.A. A little over three and a half years, we performed four times at Comedy Central stage. We've had a bunch of sketches that we did with Funny or Die last year. And uh, a lot of the group's working, like Eddie Shin on our uh, team, He's a series regular on a Netflix show right now. That's awesome. I forget the name. Sorry, Eddie. Uh, <laughs> you know, Devin works, Gabe works, Harris works. It's, it's been Harris is actually in the last level of the Groundlings program currently. He's been in that school for five years. It's taken that long to get all the way through it with wow. the waiting lists and everything. That's impressive. Yeah. Do you feel like this has helped you become a better actor in what ways? Because I'm sure it has. Anytime Mm -hmm. performing in any way has. But specifically improv, I think, is its own special, very special snowflakey group. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So what about that is important to you in the business? Being directable. You know, people get so, like, people want to act like, I don't know, Helen Mirren on day one of their career. But, you like, you know, I used to read these books about Steve McQueen, and he was such an asshole. It's so interesting that people revere the man so much. He was really brutal. But people want to act like him on day one and, like, not take direction and be super sentimental about their choices. And that's one thing improv taught me, that nothing's sentimental. You're going to do a million scenes in your career if you're here for the long haul. And you got to think about it long term. People are so myself included short-sighted and improv just makes you like you can hear a note and take it on a dime and the other thing that I like is if you're able to play like like Miles Stroth does this really well he's like a legend in improv he'll play with what you, you, know, you might call pantomiming or prop work or space work or whatever so realistically that when you actually have props it's so easy to do it because oh you actually have the thing but when, you know, because you've, you've created these spaces in your head for so long that when you actually have them, it's, it's pretty seamless to jump into what also could be there, how to operate in those spaces. So what else have you, I know you've done a lot of, how do I put this? You're a very self-motivated actor, which is really hard to find because a lot of people need a team or they need, they're like, you know, I can't wait to do some work as soon as I get an agent Mm -hmm. or I can't, you know, there's like an if win kind of situation. And that drives me nuts because I, my biggest thing is to find something you want to do and just go do it. Mm -hmm. And you are a good example of that, of just figuring stuff out. For example, you and your friends made a film together and Mm -hmm. that was a compilation of like years of work. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about how that process was? Yeah, I think, you know, to answer the first part, that happens at every level, too, you know? Like, this is going to sound weird and maybe, I don't know, Get combative, but... You know, at the like a highest level, like I've heard Kate Blanchett complain about lack of film for X, Y, and Z. Whatever, fill in the blank. But me sitting here, go make the film. Go make it. Zach Braff put whatever of his own money and potentially embarrassing himself to do Kickstarter. Cause he I mean he was on Scrubs, the man made a lot of money. But if you really want to make a film, then you'll go do it and you'll find a way. So what that always sounds like to me is you want someone else to make a film and then put you in it. Yes. And that's... Which is fine because that's... Which is totally cool, it's but... It's easier and it's what you want to do. I don't want to hear people complaining about lack of opportunity when there's so much opportunity left and right. Look at all these filmmakers making movies every day. It's amazing. So that goes down to our level too, you know. Uh, people just want it to be given to them. Which is fine. I get that too. I would love if someone was like, here, here's a movie and here's no work. And all you have to do is worry about your performance. <laughs> but that's just not the way it's been. And that's that's okay. The feature film I had, it's called Richard Peter Johnson. It's on iTunes, Amazon, and like 18 other platforms, I think. But uh, very proud of it. Came up with the idea in college because everybody I told in college, I was naked a lot in college. Uh, <laughs> Side note. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody I told in college that I was moving to L.A. for acting was like, oh, you're going to end up in porn. <laughs> so I remember junior year having this idea of like, oh, it would be hilarious if this guy moved to L.A. for acting and then became the most famous male porn star in the world. And that's all I have. I still have the journal with that like fragment of a note. And then there was talk in our sketch troupe, Gibbons Tale, about making a film. And as you guys can tell, probably I'm more of the walk the walk and not talk the talk for too long. But we talked about it for six months, meeting after meeting. We met every Wednesday night for three years. Wow. Six months. Talk, talk. Nothing <laughs> was ever happening. So I had, I think, like a rough outline of what I wanted. And I signed us up on Kickstarter without telling anybody showed up and said, hey, we have 30 days to raise X amount of money and uh, we're going to make this movie. Review, uh, reactions were mixed, to say it lightly. <laughs> but everybody did get on board because even though I handled things poorly, they understood the intent was pure. And we did our best to get everybody in the movie. Unfortunately, we, you know, one of our group members didn't make the final cut, which was tough. But she was great about it, honestly. Um, she understood. And so, yeah, we basically, we came up with the outline because I think I have the story credit officially, but there's six writers on it. But Devin Crittenden, the director, really should have the credit because he's, he locked himself in his apartment literally for five days and just hammered out a, an amazing draft, in my opinion. And then, I mean, and he does this still to this day. He'll be like, oh, they improvised that. But no, 90% of that is his written word. Because we did improvise quite a bit because we had two to three cameras rolling at the same, all, at all times. And it was supposed to feel very real to life. We moved pretty quick. It just took a few years to get the distribution and all that. And that was really exhausting for them because I kind of bowed out of post-production because I was exhausted from pre-production and being a producer on set as well as a lead of the film. Like I had to be like, okay, this is Sean producer. 
or this is actor Sean, like literally. <laughs> and uh, how was? Tell me about that because I'm curious. I have I've never done behind the camera work. Mm-hmm. It's not something that incites me at all at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yet we'll see. But I just started writing for the first time, so who knows? But as an actor who's used to being in front, how is being behind? And then hopping on in front of the camera. Well, I would say 99% of the projects I've done, I'm behind the camera in some capacity. One thing I learned, name drop, I worked a lot with James Franco in the 2012, 2013. And I say that because, you know, whatever you think of the man, he's incredibly hardworking. Incredible. In fact, sometimes I think he works so hard that he doesn't give his current project his full attention. Oh, that's interesting. Because I think he's incredible. You can watch like particular performances and you're like, he's so good. And then other ones where you're like, what happened? Well, it's probably spread too thin. But one thing he said, and I think this is probably has to do with it, he said, when you direct your own projects that you're acting in, the trap is to not give your performance the correct amount of time. You just assume you'll be good. And you don't prepare. And so I fell into that trap quite a bit where I'd be like, no, I wrote it or I'm directing it. I should know. But after a few rough lessons with that, I realized, no, I've got to prepare like an actor and a director or a writer or a producer. And that was my biggest takeaway from that. I like being behind the camera in certain capacities. Like I just did a film this month where I was uh, just an actor. And it was rough at times to just be there. And just be like, you know, I'm used to like chiming in or having a say or, but it wasn't my place. So obviously I didn't because you got to know that too, but it was just interesting, you know, and I kind of got what I had asked for all these years. And it was just funny to be like, wow, it's not um, as engaging to just be on a set for 12 hours with nothing to do about the performance, unless you're in every scene, which I wasn't. So. You didn't sit in your trail and read a book? <laughs> I didn't. I was writing, but, you know, there was no Wi-Fi. Oh. Let's catch up, 2017. I know they should just put him in the trailers now. Uh, so, James Franco, you mm-hmm. studied with him, mm-hmm. and he was in your film. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me how you got him in your film? Yeah. Um, well, he was teaching our class at Playhouse West. It was his first class there, and... You know, I what I really respect about the man is he did not, I don't know if he'd put it this way, but from my perspective, he wasn't afraid to look foolish. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes your ego or whatever can get in the way when you're in a performance, you don't want to take a note. You're exposing yourself. And I remember this one time in particular, there was a scene and he stopped it and he's like, no, you're supposed to scream like this. And he did it. And it was like, you know, out of context, it looks super weird. But he committed 100% to the moment. And it was, I just gained so much respect for him because he totally could have looked foolish. And he always did these, like, dancing warm-ups that he'd make us do. But he would be the most committed person there, even though the warm-up was for us. And so we really came to respect James' his work ethic. And so... I guess that was a little bit of a digression, but... No, I was curious how he was as a teacher. That's great. He was awesome. He was, uh, I mean, I did his UCLA, he invited me to do, he was teaching at UCLA in a, a writer's course, and he brought in a few actors that he liked. He was always more prepared than the students. <laughs> always. And he was doing Broadway six nights a week, flying a red eye, teaching that Monday morning class, flying out. No shit. Yeah, and the man's, uh, inc- like his, no one can touch that work ethic. I mean, he's like certainly like, 
made to be a legend and a myth at our school. Like he never sleeps or eats, but that's not true. But uh, yeah. So uh, maybe two months in, Devin and I, because we had originally written the part for another actor we really respect and admire, Jeff Goldblum, who's just flat out. I mean, he's probably the only other person comparable, maybe Mark Pellegrino to James's work ethic. And, uh, but Jeff booked a Broadway play in New York and there was no way he was just going to come back for that. We hadn't, we didn't even ask him. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> but we just knew there was no way because I was working with Jeff rehearsing that Broadway play. So I kind of knew the details of what he was going to do. And so we were like, well, it kind of fits that it's James. Should we ask? So Devin and I who were in the class, <laughs> it was like, how long have you been in class with him? Maybe two months. Okay, so and not like long. he knows us, but he not really. I mean, the guy's like it's a million things going on. Yeah, he he like recognizes you. He might remember your name, but it's nothing like we're having coffee after class. Yeah, and so we approach him, and he's dressing like this is an old theater, so like there's no changing room. He's just like in the hallway dressing, and we happen to approach him at that time, and he's like, "Huh," you know, and we're like, "Oh, we got something to ask you," and. We start going into the spiel. I kind of like put it on Devin, and Devin just over talks because we're all <laughs> nervous and we're looking back and forth. And James is this thing that was so unsettling. Usually, when someone's thinking, they'll look up and to the left or look down, but he just stared right at us. So, like, you know, it was like Devin was like, So, we wanted you to be in our movie. And he was just staring at us. And then he went, yeah, okay. And so we're like, oh, my God. And basically we made it so seamless. We are like, you just have to show up and say the lines. It'll be 10 minutes tops. And we knew that it would be. And it was cool. So we, like, you know, we set up. And we had it lit. He just showed up. He looked at the script. And it was cool because he didn't get the script ahead, or he didn't look at the script ahead of time, obviously. Uh, he showed up and I was standing next to Devin as Devin's like breaking it down because James was like, what's the scene about? And Devin, again, he's nervous, so he's talking a lot. He'll tell you this himself. (laughs) And I could just see James listening. He's just listening. And then when he finds what's for him, he goes, ah, so I I want this thing for me. That's it, right? And Devin's like, yeah, exactly. So he found the one simple thing he needed for the scene, and he's really great at it. Oh, that's I know cool. it's a tiny scene, but it's like a weird scene, and he d- he's just he did nails the tone, everything. That's awesome. Yeah, I, what I love about that the most is that to me it kind of it kind of negates that when people get a role and they do like epic paperwork mm. and study and like mm. forty hours of rehearsal, it it's it's it doesn't need to be that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it needs to be. You don't have to write a dictionary on the character, right? You sometimes, you know, if you're playing a doctor, yeah, do your research another time. Always do your research, but mm-hmm. it's not that complicated. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever works, whatever works. I won't like I, every project I work on is a different way of preparation. The only time I write about it is like if someone else is involved in a major way that we never see. So an example, contemporary example of that would be Viola Davis in Doubt, right? So she wrote several pages about her relationship with her son. Um, 
but I'm sure she could walk on any set and knock anything out of the park. At, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Oh, I get that though. It's yeah. like the ba- the unwritten backstory relationship. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So how do you, let's go into that then. How do you prepare for your auditions, for example? And what kind of auditions do you get in LA? Like what's your, hmm. what's your, what's your type? What's your Marlon Brando type, Sean? <laughs> it's, mo- <laughs> it's mostly, um, you know, like muscular gym owner, jock, <laughs> handsome guy. That's my, that's what I go out for. Okay. Um, although I was trained in drama for four and a half years, I seem to be going out quite a bit on comedy stuff, which I love. I love, but I do enjoy the dark drama and I feel very comfortable in it. Uh, my process is to get as comfortable as I can with the material because for me that breeds relaxation. It's kind of like um, understanding the rules of a new sport and once you understand them expertly, you can bend and break and play within them freely. So that's how I look at a script. Like, you know, once I know this inside and out, now I can really start to play with my levels and how I feel about it and X, Y, and Z. That's pretty much it. Uh, some, uh, I mean, like today, I had probably the worst callback of my acting career. Oh, please tell me about it. Please, please, please. I am all about talking about the bad auditions because I think it makes them seem not as bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm being overly critical. Like, there's nothing I could have done. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was as prepared as I could be. It was something I didn't think I was right for. I was going in to play a king. I'm a little young, I think, for that. And uh, it was a commercial. It was fun. But I, in the first call, I just decided to make it super real. Just, you know, grounded is the other word for that. And they liked it, so they brought me in. And it was a strange audition process because they were bringing us in three at a time. And you didn't audition in front of your competition. Oh, I hate when they do that. They did that for a callback? Well, they did it in a group of seven today. Which was fine, like, you know, you got to roll with the punches, but today I got punched about six times. And it was cool, I just, it just did not end well. And so, the first call was really, I knew they were going to call me back, just, I just knew. I know the office, and I know, it felt right. The callback's never at the same call as the first call, so I was in Santa Monica, and we get there... So it's a long wait. That's fine. But then I could tell they're bringing in people in big groups, like six and seven. So I'm like, okay, strange. That's so weird. Then about 30 minutes of being there, they come out and they had just rewritten the script. So they start handing out new sides and it's two scenes. And the first scene's a variation on the thing we did in the first call. And the second scene's brand new and it's super technical. So the people who had gone in before that point, had they used the old scenes? I believe so. Oh, that sucks for them. They didn't even have a shot today. Maybe. 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 Because yeah, it was groups. It was groups. It wasn't like there were kings, and then there was like another group of different type, you know, so who knows? So that was, you know, and the second scene was super technical. Let's see. You had to mumble key words while pantomiming, eating something, and then saying it nonchalantly. So it was like very just challenging work. I know that sounds super weird. but it's, uh, It sounds simple, but try yeah. and do it. Yeah. Also try and pretend to eat ever on camera right. or and actually like, eat and on what camera. Was, so that I was like, okay, that will be like the throwaway scene for me because I know the first scene 
I was like, I'll crush that. And right before we walk in, they're like, okay, so we're not doing the first scene. We're just doing the second scene. And uh, we're going to do this like weird improv group mashup. And I'm like, okay. So they bring us in and there's seven of us. And I'm the last one in the door just by chance. And the, they have us lined up and the director's like in love with the first guy. They've worked together. He's booked him. Oh, so, that, you know, that's just like one of those <laughs> things where you're like, it's like you're happy for the guy because that's good when that turns on you. So you don't ever want to be in this competition state because I, I don't want to be competitive with any other actor on the planet. Well, just good for you, man. Yeah. It was just, you know, it does something to the room. Yes. And then he's like, you know, and then he and the uh, cameraman aren't really on the same page. So you're kind of like, well, what is it? Is it this or is it this? So that's kind of weird. Any kind of unclarity in a callback, because all a callback is is a listening test. How well can you listen? So you're just trying to figure out what to listen to and who to listen to. Obviously, you want to listen to the director, but there's a reason the cameraman's probably saying the things he's saying, because that's what he does every day. So then, so I'm last, because the cameraman's like, we're going to go left to right. And I'm like, cool, you know, I'll get to hear their things. Maybe I'll try a different choice. But I had this thing I wanted to try. The director looks up, he looks at the group, and he goes, you. And he points at me, and he goes, switch over here to the front. So I'm like, okay. So now I went from last to being the first. And he switched his favorite guy to last. And um, so that was challenging. And, uh, you know, basically immediately went, did the audition, and it was – you know, they were very clear. They're like, don't say these, because we had to do it three times. You know, like, mumble, 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 and just talk clearly, mumble, mumble, talk clearly, mumble, mumble. <laughs> I definitely said every word very clearly. <laughs> I didn't pause. I, there was no acting. I was just like, I just took it on the chin, and, you know, I did my best, but it was one of those. I, and then I had to stand there while the rest went. And they got progressively better, as obviously you would, because you're, like, hearing the horrific start. And then, I mean, it was bad. And I can be objective about it. It was like, he, he gave me one take. He's like, okay. And then moved on. Everybody else got two to three takes. And, um, <sighs> which is fine. Which is fine. It's just. I know, I, but I it's I was just standing sucks. in the room. I'm like, I would love to just, like, crawl out of this room right now. <laughs> And the worst part was, he was like, yeah, there could be like three or four parts for this one part, actually. And I was like, man, I had a lot of opportunity here. But at the end of the day, I don't know what they're thinking on their end. He could have not liked me from the start, not like get a personal thing, but I was several years younger than everybody but one guy in there, and we had a very different look. You know, who knows? He might have put me up front just to do that. Like, not personal again, but like, in his head, he knows who he's after, and uh, he's a, he was very much a director who was like, let's get to it. Yeah. You know? So it was uh, humbling. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, because I mean, like, like four weeks ago, I was auditioning for, like, huge executive producers in, like, Mandalay Bay, and I was like, whatever. And this is a stupid, like, <laughs> callback for a commercial, and I can barely like say lines it's you know it's just funny how that, I, I don't feel like I could have done any better it's for myself every day yeah it's such a day and it's fun, such a funny thing because I think if you described that to anyone if you told them today for work right. I went into a room and I mumbled and said some keywords mm -hmm. they would think that you were 
lame and boring and whatever. Sure. But it's so much more nuanced than that. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more little working pieces. Ugh, commercial auditions are definitely their own beast. Yeah, and I'm lucky. Like I love my agency, and they always send me on. 99% of the things I go out for have like large speaking roles, and they're improv heavy. So I'm very lucky because I have friends who are like, I only go in for like personality tests or questions or like a shot, which is still cool because you still get paid. But yeah, at least I get to flex a little bit with that, you know, acting wise. Yeah, you get to have interactions. Fun. Yeah. What would you do if you could pick what you did for a while for like the next couple of years? What would you be doing? Um, I don't like to say forever because this job is so fluid. Yeah. Well, I think right now what's going to happen is it's going to be writing movies and being in them. And then after that, I would love to be on a TV show that shoots in L.A., ideally a sitcom Wednesday through Friday, work week, six months a year. God, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, and it's totally doable. Um, I mean, that's that's it. I just, I don't know how to describe it, but I wrote a movie that's going to get made in Canada next May and June. This just happened last week. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I'm, they're going to let me still be a lead in it. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying right now. It looks like it'll be movies, which is totally awesome. That's fantastic. How did that happen? Well, I wrote one feature this year, and the investor really, really liked it. And How'd you get that to an investor? Can I ask that question? Because sure. that's a disconnect I don't think a lot of people understand sometimes. And not networking. But I've been told. I hate the word networking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been told I have a um, a uh, skill at meeting people throughout the years. I, I feel like because I'm honest and I never expect anything in return, that people trust me and, and uh, you know, for the most part, enjoy being around me. And so, through like you know six layers of Kevin Bacon here, I was introduced to a woman who. God, she's a badass. She's 24, I think, and she's honestly one of the smartest people I've ever met when it comes uh, to breaking down a script. It's, I mean, she's incredible. She's and a, she's a writer. No, she's she. I don't know how to describe her aside from that she's in film. She's a jack of all to, trades and <laughs> likes to make. She's definitely behind the camera. Okay. Um, well, yeah. now I want to interview her. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I think she's in Europe right now, but okay. um. So she had a meeting with me to write social media stuff for one of her family friends who was Chelsea on Chelsea Handler's show. And he's trying to break out into his own thing. And I was writing some social media for some of these social media stars. And then she got wind of that and asked to bring me on. And in that meeting, I pitched her this movie I wrote called The Coyote and the Moon. And she loved uh, the idea of it and was like, let me get a copy of that. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, it'll be ready in two weeks. And uh, I had to make it ready in two weeks. So I, <laughs> I did that and we had we just worked really well on the notes back and forth. Like her notes were just so economic in that there's nothing superfluous. And so we started having a relationship and then I rewrote this script with my one of my writing partners Jordan Wisely that we had shelved like two years ago and one of his contacts heard about the premise and was like oh my god that's so commercial that's so cheap you got to do it so we brought it back and then through that process 
Mariana, that's the original investor, got wind of it, read it, and loved the concept. And, uh, you know, we had to kind of, like, break the script, so to speak, to, like, get it to a place that we both agreed on. But we had a meeting last week that was supposed to be an hour, and it lasted six. Wow. Like, they're, like they want to do it, and it's really cool feeling. Like, I felt like they wanted it more than me at times. Not that they do, but that's what it felt like. Like, they they knew so much about it, and it was... Um, it was that's so cool that yeah. someone really understood and had, like, downloaded your idea. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. And so right now, as of right now, it's three female investors who are just badass business people. And, uh, you know, it looks like it'll be, if things go as planned, shot in Canada in May and June of next year. Tight. Yeah. Why Canada? Because, so... All these investors in their own way are very powerful people in their hometowns. Mm-hmm. And the Canadian investors are really influential and they can call the mayor and have like roads closed. They own a lot of property. So locations are free, you know. Awesome. They have like rental car rental agencies that they own, construction companies to build sets. Like That's where the hookup is. And it and the movie actually takes place in Canada and it just so happens that this one particular like set piece, which is a 300 foot cliff, they have. <laughs> so it's just like all f- the only issue with Canada, quote unquote, is the weather. Oh, you really? Know, if it, it's a long winter, it can make it like sloggy for a month. Is there laws? Is, aren't there laws about Canadian films? Like they have to have like half Canadian cast or something well, like that? Well, that's if you get a grant. Okay. So, yeah, I don't have to worry about that as far as, like, my research. That's what they're doing. Got it. So, I mean, I fully trust these ladies to do whatever they say they're going to do. That's awesome. Yeah, they're super capable, and it's really awesome to be a part of. Yeah. Another movie to be made. That's That's awesome, man. Yeah. Congrats. Guys, this is what hard work gets you. Some shit happening. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, before we finish up, I want to talk about one more topic. That we hit on our first interview, um, which is everyone's favorite topic of health and fitness as an actor. <laughs> the ever so controversial, uh, it always comes off as anyway. So as a woman, I do mm. completely different things. Mm. <laughs> and most girls do. So as a dude, mm. what is your take on staying healthy and fit as an actor via exercise, food, and like your just mental state in general because this business is so physical yeah a lot of people don't realize it's grueling to be on a set for i mean the last day of shooting i did was over 16 hours and even just laying around is i know that sounds stupid but it's draining doing nothing is the most draining because you're it's like that hurry up and wait from the military like you're mentally engaged and as you guys i hope you figured this out if you're mentally engaged you're draining your energy completely I have a morning routine that has literally changed my life and I've implemented it for the last, ironically, three months. Um, (laughs) But that has helped me be so much more at peace in my uh, day-to-day life that every booking and, you know, success I've had since has just been icing on the cake because I feel very content and peaceful in my life. Not every day is like, you know, I'm not crazy, but instead of saying a day is a bad day or a negative day, I just go, oh, that's more of a challenging day. And that phrase helps me just look at it like a challenge because I feel like 
if you want to get a little woo-woo, like if you show the universe you can move through certain challenges quickly, they'll give you bigger bites. But if you want to be a martyr or a victim or a whiny little bitch, <laughs> you're going to have to learn that lesson until you're not anymore. So I don't say anything's bad. It's just a ch- as best as I can, I'm still human, but it's a challenge. So the morning routine's been excellent. And can you walk us through that? Sure, that sure. That was such a teaser. <laughs> sure. Um, and this is just me. Like, I fucking hated meditation for a long time. In fact, I try not to use the word. I call it my reflection time because meditation just does a weird – the word does something to me. So five days a week, Monday through Friday, I give myself Saturday, Sunday optional. But most likely I do it. Uh, I wake up and I do 10 to 12 minutes of reflection or meditation. The reason I do it right when I wake up is because I'm still groggy. And I've read that that state allows your defenses to be down more. And my defenses come up hard and strong, you know? (laughs) So I want to be defenseless as best I can. And I call it reflection because I don't care what happens. I'm just there. And if I have to think about, you know, things, you know, whatever I'm thinking about, it's fine. I have to accept that. I don't try for anything. And then I have five mantras on my whiteboard. I have two whiteboards in my room or what affirmations rather. And you know what? I didn't rush these affirmations this time. And that's why they're lasting. In the past, I'd like sit down and be like, I have to have 10 affirmations and do them in one sitting. And that's silly. If you think about it, like, let them come to you. And they did, like one at a time and then two at a time and then one and then one, you know. And they came to me when I needed it and they came to me as the phrase that they are. And I'll read those out loud a couple times. And then I have a very specific mantra that I wrote in Word document, single space. I read it one time out loud. And, and all this stuff is done with positivity. You have to have an emotional context when you're doing this stuff. It's as specific as like the floors in the house I'm going to have to my bank account, to who I'm working with in my career, to who's in my life personally, to how I treat people and that I love myself. And so I read that. And then from there I do 15 to 20 minutes of vocal exercises because it makes me laugh and (laughs) it gets my voice stronger. And then... I go into the kitchen, I put on the coffee, and I do five to ten minutes of personal free writing. And it's ironic, like, the, the days I least want to do that activity are the days I'm waking up the happiest. But I always am happy that I do the writing, even if it's just to be like, I don't know what the fuck to say today. Because I, to I used to write like somebody was going to pick up my journal in 50 years and be like, this is Hemingway, you know? <laughs> and so I, would, I wouldn't I would be fully truthful. I do the same thing. I write, like, my best friend's going to find it and be like, yeah. oh, she talks shit on me one day yeah, or something like totally. that. Yeah, totally. And I think that's superhuman. But for me, I, like, if you read my whatever you want to call it, like, it's brutal <laughs> because it's just me. It's just me being me and, like, saying my thoughts and posing questions. And not every day has to be, like, this tough right but some days I'll try and ask a question to think about or I'll just write. And so I do five to ten minutes of that. I'll grab my coffee and then I'll write artistically, whether that's sketch or I'm doing a TV show with a friend or one of these two movies with all the notes I have. Um, and I'll try and write from one to four hours, depending on the day. And I base this all upon the departure time of my day. 
Mm-hmm. So if, if I have to be out the door at 10 a.m., I'm trying to get up at 7, et cetera. Because it takes about two hours. Okay. So that's the morning routine. I write better in the morning. I do not write well in the evening or the afternoon or as well. I can do it if I have to. And then for working out, I don't really know what to say at this point aside from because uh, I feel like I am in good shape that now I can be more free with my structure. Whereas initially if you're getting into shape, that's a different ball game. You have to be a lot more disciplined and kind of have a routine. Whereas like right now I try and get into the gym three to five days a week. And that's really my only thing. I don't really drink alcohol too much anymore because I noticed that keeps the weight off. Yeah. If I don't drink, I can pretty much eat what I want. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't mean I'm going out and smashing dominoes every day, just like, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, happens. But I'm just saying, like, when I'm drinking, my defenses are more down. So there's drinking and eating. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not drinking, I'm just not as, like, uh, undisciplined in that regard or... And uh, it's it's been fine. Like I no judgment on it certainly because I've done my fair share of drinking. But <laughs> to um, each his own. Every yeah. Other thing. Yeah. Definitely, I smoking pot helps. So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. do that as much anymore, but it helps. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my health and fitness advice, if that is even advice. It's just kind of nice to know what everyone does because everyone's different. So it's good to. Yeah, little pick little bits and pieces from everyone. Yeah, and I their mean, team is great. Like, I mean, one I was submitting names to this producer Mariana for this film, which is a very physical film. And I sub- she's like, "Who are some actors and actresses who could play these parts?" And uh, she's like, "Wait, do not submit anybody who can't fucking run." She's <laughs> like, "I'm tired of watching actors who can't run. Do not submit anybody who's not athletic." And that's just like maybe a bit of an extreme example, but it's realistic. Like the movie is a uh, a chase movie, so like we can't hire anybody. Who like it's going to be an issue on set. And then the movie I just did, like these two lead actors, every day they were on their feet for sixteen hours, getting the shit beat out of them. So you have to be in like, so to command that stamina physically, and then also be able to mentally be engaged to give a great performance. You got to be in good shape. Yeah. I call it my fighting shape. It's where I'm like, I could go film a movie next week mm-hmm. or I could go on vacation next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my yeah. middle ground to yeah. like, I could gain five, lose five yeah. at any point in time. Yeah. It's like the middle. I, I think that's totally normal. Like one of the fittest guys I know, Anton Narinsky, great actor. Mm-hmm. Look him up. <laughs> uh, he, you know, that's, he used to preach that. Now he's just in like insane physical condition, but he used to always be like, I'm a week away always. Yeah. I'm a week away. I like that. Yeah. That's a good way to be. Okay, so to round out, one last thing. Mm-hmm. If you could give advice to yourself or to new actors who just came out here in any term of advice, it could be one specific thing, could be an overall thought. Oof. I know, no pressure, but. It's yeah, <laughs> a, a great question. Man. Uh, listen to everybody and listen to nobody. Because anything can work and nothing can work. You can study your whole life and know everything about acting, but if you're not acting, then what does it matter? I remember Mark Pellegrino, one of my favorite teachers and actors ever, told me in class, he's like, you can be the best actor ever, but if no one sees it, who cares? It's like kind of like the tree falling in the woods. Does it make a sound? Who knows? Um, 
and uh, just go out and do it and don't be afraid to fail. I'm genuinely in a place right now where I'm like, oh, failing's awesome because that just gets the no there quicker and now I know what's working and what's not. Like, you can't be sentimental. Like, you really have to ask yourself, as best you can because you're living day-to-day as a human, but if you're really here for the long haul, like your life, then what's it matter? You're going to do a million scenes. You're going to write a million scenes. You're going to say a million lines. So who cares? Don't be sentimental. Just keep it moving and uh, do things. You know, meet people. Be nice. Be nice on set. Like be like it's a it's called show business. You know, really approach it from that sense. All these artists, they have business managers for a reason. You got to think about that when you're on your own. What's the business? Don't get personal. Don't get take things personal. You're going to hear weird shit in auditions. You're going to see weird shit on your breakdowns. Who cares? Keep it moving. Book the job. Keep it moving. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to end on that. Thank you so much for recording with me today. If people could, uh, wanted to reach out to you, see your work, uh, where Mm -hmm. could they find you? IMDB for sure for that. Sean Crampton, all my representatives are on there. And then my Instagram is at Sean, S-E-A-N-M Crampton, C-R-A-M-P-T-O-N. And, uh, you know, you can reach out to me there. And your improv team performs at? It's every Tuesday night, 10.30 to 11.30. We keep it succinct, on time. (laughs) Um, North Hollywood, Arts District, Playhouse West, Studio 3, or Magnolia 2, or whatever they just changed the name to. It's free, and uh, it it really is a good show. If you like improv or comedy, we have amazing teams come and perform with us, and uh, we've been doing it seven years, so we're pretty solid ourselves a long time cool all right thanks so much guys i'll talk to you later and that wraps us up for episode two thank you guys so much for listening in as always you can check out onebrokeactress.com and you can find me at onebrokeactress on instagram and all the socials thank you again to maggie zabo for our fabulous theme song and i will see you next week (laughs) 